Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today's Wednesday, December 9th. DoorDash stock is up, new job openings are down, according to ZipRecruiter, and we're focused on the rise of mental wellness apps. We're now five weeks past November 3rd, but those of us who spent election night binge-watching CNN remember the commercials from meditation app Calm. which was perhaps the most note-perfect marketing campaign of all time. What happened next was that Calm jumped over 50 spots in the Apple App Store and was downloaded tens of thousands of times. Then, yesterday, it announced $75 million in new venture capital funding at a $2 billion valuation. That price tag, that giant price tag, reflects a booming market in mental wellness, particularly as the pandemic has gotten on just about everyone's last nerve. It also comes with some big question marks, such as if companies and insurers incorporating Calm into their offerings are doing so as a substitute, arguably an inadequate substitute, for mental health care, things like therapists and psychiatrists. Remember, over 40 million Americans are believed to suffer from some form of mental illness, and even if they can find help, they often can't afford to pay for it. So we want to dig into all things Calm with its co-founder and co-CEO, Michael Acton-Smith. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Michael Acton-Smith, co-founder and co-CEO of Calm. So, Michael, can we just start with some numbers here? I want to actually go back to election night, so five weeks ago plus. Give me the background. When did you decide you guys were going to do this kind of marketing campaign with CNN? And from your perspective, how did it turn out? How did it convert? It was very last minute. You know, I wish we could have said we planned it months in advance, but it it was literally a a day or two before there was an opportunity. And we were a little nervous because we like calm to be apolitical, but we felt it was going to be one of the most stressful nights of the year. So could be a good chance for calm to pop up and support everyone. And to answer the question of how well it did, it it was mind boggling. It felt like almost everyone in America (laughs) saw it. Hundreds of thousands of comments across social media very positive. People thought it was uh, funny, brilliantly placed, supportive. So we were delighted with it. Can you talk to me a little bit about kind of the conversion process, how you view what the thing is that gets somebody to go from just downloading the app to becoming a paying user? How do you kind of feel you guys kind of make that pitch to people and why they flip that switch? Yes. So there's a week trial. So you can uh, play around in the app. There's a huge amount of content there, hundreds and hundreds of hours. We started with meditation and, and that's fantastic for some people. But one of the biggest uh, set changes was when we added sleep and we created these sleep stories featuring different celebrities and people with beautiful, soothing voices. And the great thing about sleep is seven and a half billion people do it every single night. And so many of us struggle with sleep. So it's a big audience to go after. There's no stigma associated with it. So uh, many people arrive and stay for the sleep content. And then we have everything from music to wisdom content to movement. We're launching a kids section. The app is growing in many different ways. You guys started as a, you know, quote unquote, direct to consumer company, right? You know, I, I hear about it somehow. I decided to download the app as an individual. But you're also seeming to expand a lot into the kind of the B2B, the corporate wellness program vertical. Can you talk about that a bit? And do you expect that at some point that piece of your business will become a larger piece of your business than the direct-to-consumer? Yes, you're right. It could well be. It's heading in that trajectory. We've grown to about 100 million downloads, 4 million paying uh, subscribers. 
But particularly this year during the pandemic, the growth in companies reaching out to us, wanting to bring a product like Calm to their remote workforces has just been extraordinary. And Calm is a very valuable product. It's used, it's known by a lot of individuals. Uh, So that's the advantage of having a a well-known consumer brand and then selling into workplaces. The B2B and B2C sort of virtual circle is, is pretty powerful. So yes, growing incredibly rapidly from a standing start, and and we think it will be as big, if not bigger, than the consumer business. Do you feel most of those B2B sales, will they go in, as you say, to kind of corporate wellness programs, you know, company X offering it to their employees, as opposed to bundling in with existing health insurance? Because I know you guys have a deal with Kaiser, for example. Yes, it's going to be both. It depends on the scale and, and size of the business. You know, I think what's interesting is just a few years ago, the idea of a company bringing a product like Calm into their workforce would have been seen as a little unusual. The idea of helping employees with mindfulness or sleep. It's getting to the point where it's, it's almost table stakes. We think in the next few years, every company will be offering some kind of mental health support to their workforce. And that's a pretty enormous market to go after. So let me ask about that. You mentioned mental health support to their workforce. How do you view or do you view the distinction between mental health and wellness? Everyone has slightly different uh, definitions. We talk of ourselves as a, a mental wellness app. It's almost like, um, you know, using Calm is like going to the gym, keeping yourself fit, but the equivalent for your mind. We don't get involved uh, further upstream with, you know, psychologists and clinical mental health issues. There are many, many players in that area. But the area that we're in, we think is, is enormous and, and we will expand likely in the future. Is there any risk And not one that you guys are creating, but that if a company brings on Calm into kind of its benefits package, I guess you could say for employees, that they might view that as an adequate substitute for some of those other things you talked about, kind of clinical mental health services for employees? I don't think so. I think smart employers are offering a spectrum of mental health support to their workplaces. And as I say, Calm is at one end and and very valuable, but uh, there are, yeah, other solutions for people that need more serious support. And not something you guys have any interest in eventually expanding into? Well, we've partnered with Lyra, which is a fantastic company that does offer this at scale. And so that's been a great partnership. So I think it's more likely we'll do that through partnerships. What's the next big thing for you guys, if you could share kind of next area you expect to go into if there is one? There's many. We want to expand our content. Wisdom is is a very important area. How can we create audio content that helps people change and and transform their lives. So it it could be anything from first-time parents or pregnancy to give up smoking, to combat a fear of flying. There's so much we can create amazing audio around. And then beyond all that, could we take this digital brand and have it expand offline? Could Calm exist as a, a clothing range or a chain of hotels or an island that comes the world's most relaxing resort? So, you know, we often talk about building the Nike of the mind. And we think this is one of the reasons why Calm could be one of the most valuable and meaningful companies in the world. You guys yesterday announced new venture capital funding. Companies now valued at around $2 billion. Obviously, it often for a successful company becomes easier to raise new funding over time than it was at the very beginning. Can you just take me back a little bit? How difficult was it originally to convince venture capitalists that they should put cash, big money, behind what was at the time a meditation app? Yeah, it was extremely difficult. It, it was tough to raise the seed round back in about 2013 but we did it about one and a half million dollars. And we had to take that cash to all the way through to our Series A that uh, we did with Insight. 
but we had many, many no's from very smart investors for many years. People thought this was niche. They didn't think people would pay for it. They thought there was too many places to get it for free. But I think the penny has well and truly dropped now and people recognize that mental health is as important as physical health. And uh, this is a huge category. Michael, final question for you. You mentioned the sleep stories. Give me one. What's your favorite? The most interesting one that somebody who has the app should listen to tonight to get to bed. Well, there's one I recorded reading Alice in Wonderland, which isn't that popular, sadly. Far more popular is uh, Harry Styles' sleep story and Matthew McConaughey's. Uh, we get a lot of positive feedback on, on both of those. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is New York State Common Retirement Fund, the nation's third largest public pension, which is committing to sell its investments in any oil or gas companies that don't disclose plans to exit the fossil fuel business. In other words, a company could still extract oil to make plastics, but not to make gasoline. In terms of dollars, New York Common invests around $12 billion in these sorts of companies, but its real impact could be more as a leader that other public pensions and their money follow out the door. One big caveat though, New York Common is giving itself four full years to complete its review of oil and gas investments, and then another 19 years to quote unquote decarbonize. That's a pretty good deal of wiggle room, particularly given that the system's boss, New York State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, still would need to be reelected before any of those deadlines hit. Today, we're also watching the blockbuster IPO from DoorDash which got a $39 billion valuation and then just skyrocketed from there. The big question, of course, is what happens to DoorDash and other food delivery companies post-pandemic? DoorDash's CFO tells me the company is confident that his service has become, quote-unquote, sticky, particularly as new customers get used to saving time and finding new restaurants on the platform. Oh, and speaking of IPOs, Airbnb is expected to begin trading tomorrow while Reuters reports that no-fee trading app Robinhood picked Goldman Sachs to lead its offering next year. That Robinhood one could be particularly interesting with a Bloomberg report out that Robinhood's occasional outages have led to user boost for a Chinese rival called Webull. And finally, British health authorities have begun vaccinating people with the Pfizer vaccine, but learned after just one day that some patients with severe allergies can have adverse reactions. I learned that this morning from CNN during an interview with U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, who apparently also learned about the allergy issue during that interview. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great National History Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.